book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father over Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father over Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Amen. You may be seated. God is omniscient, means He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, He is all-powerful, He's omnipresent, He is everywhere present, He is above all, He is before all. No man has been His counselor, no one is His equal, no power on earth or under the earth can match His power or His wisdom or His knowledge. As Chris Tomlin, the songwriter, says, He is indescribable uncontainable, all-powerful, untamable. And yet, this amazing God is relational. Victoria Brooks, the Christian author, said that although man is driven by accomplishment, God is moved by relationship. And many a man driven by accomplishment has found out to his cost that he's lost his family, he's lost his best friends because of the stress and the pressure and the drive to succeed. And yet God who accomplished the universe, who created the whole universe, and yet he strives after relationship. Isn't it amazing that this big God, this creator God, should want to have a relationship with us today? The very nature of God is relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even though uh, they are separate, yet they're one, indivisible and work perfectly in harmony with one another. We see that in the life of Christ. He says, I do nothing except my Father does it. He spoke exactly and precisely how the Father wanted him to speak. Everything was done in perfect harmony with one another. But not just content with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit occupying all of heaven they created myriads of mighty angels. These great majestic beings who does his bidding. And yet we do know that there was a, a coup or an attempted coup in heaven, can you believe? There was a rebellion in heaven, a luciferic rebellion in heaven within the great angelic family, within the hosts of heaven. And these powerful creatures, some of them rebelled against Almighty God and they were cast out of heaven. But still, in spite of that, God still desired relationship. And so he would create another order of beings, not more angels mighty as they were, but human beings. 
creatures that would be made after his image and made in his likeness, that he would give incredible faculties to, that would be able to think, that would have will, that would be able to love and to serve and to worship and to know him. They must have been the very envy of heaven because not even the mightiest of angels would have such an intimate relationship with God as a human being could have. In fact, he made them to be relational like himself. We are relational people. Now, there are some people who are maybe loners, maybe they're an exception to the rule, but generally we are relational people. We, we want to belong, don't we? That's why people join clubs and fraternities and all the rest, because there's something in us wants to relate to others around us. How long that relationship lasted in the Garden of Eden, we do not know. How many times the Father came into that garden in the cool of the day and spoke to Adam and Eve in that very personal, intimate way, we just do not know. But what we do know is that Satan was angry and filled with hatred and perhaps envy. Adam and Eve had this very powerful relationship with God. And so he set out to destroy this relationship. And he succeeded. He succeeded. He was able to cause a division between God and man. And although God's relationship with man had suffered a terrible blow, but yet God was not about to give up. God still desired relationship. And so he implemented his plan immediately and he declared it right away. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That prophecy would take thousands of years to come to fruition. But nothing could stop it coming to pass. And so in time, God would take a man, Abraham, and from that man would come a son, Isaac. And from Isaac would come a son, Jacob. And from Jacob would come tribes, a nation, Israel. And from that nation, Israel, would come a king, David. And from the lineage of David, we have David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would bruise Satan's head, who would break his authority and his rule. And from Jesus, of course, would come the church, the family of God. As Paul said, the household of faith. God always planned for relationship. And even though Satan interrupted that plan, and even though he came against it, but he could not defeat God's plan. God always will have His way in the end. Now, during all of those millenniums and countless generations, the Father would draw men unto Himself and draw a nation unto Himself. Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets. And through Moses, the lawgiver, He would set up a system of government that was theocratic, that God would be the ruler and God would be God, and the people would serve Him. Then He set up the tabernacle 
which was a system that men could worship God, that they could come near to God. And of course, he was at the very center of that. I don't know if you've ever seen in the backs of some Bibles or maybe some books have you ever bought uh, where you see the camp of Israel in the Old Testament in the wilderness set out. And you see all the tribes set out. And right in the middle of that was the tabernacle. And the middle of the tabernacle was the most holy place. And the middle of the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant where the Shekinah glory of God came. And that was signifying that God's presence was in their midst. That was God's way of saying that it was in relationship with them. But of course, even though mankind was rebellious and even though Israel as a lack people were prone to failure, he still showed his desire for relationship. The tabernacle, the wilderness, it served that purpose, but in a limited way. It was limited. The priesthood was limited to a certain tribe, the tribe of Levi. The high priesthood was limited to a certain family, the family of Aaron. The access into the tabernacle was limited. Even into the holiest place, it was limited to one man once a year. So there was limitations because man had broken his relationship with God. And even though God desired that to be made whole again, but right at that moment, at that time, there was a limitation. There was barriers put up. Man could not just approach God any old way he chose. He had to come through prescribed ways and through certain people and bring certain offerings. However, the Father had not forgotten his plan. And his plan for relationship was bigger than Israel. It was better than the priesthood. His plan was to make a way for all men everywhere to be able to come into his presence and enjoy an intimate, personal, individual relationship at any moment of the day. To accomplish this, Satan would have to be defeated at Calvary. Terrible price would have to be paid to secure man's pardon and release. And only Jesus could pay that price. Only Jesus could break the domain of sin and Satan. And Jesus redeemed us that we may be presented to the Father. God today wants you to know that He is your Heavenly Father. That He just doesn't want to be your God. He wants to be your Father God. And that's a powerful thing. And that cost Jesus His very life, His own blood, to be able to bring us into that position. Jesus redeemed us to bring us to the Father. That's the very cry of His heart in John 17, verse 3. Listen to what He says. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Whenever Jesus was on the earth, the word Father was never far from his lips. Sure it wasn't. The very first recorded words of Jesus in the New Testament was to Mary and Joseph. Do you not know that I must be about my Father's business? At 12 years old, he knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going to. 
and he had this wonderful relationship with the Father in heaven. The very last thing he says on the cross, again, is, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Wonderful. Such a relationship with the Father, over and over and over. Even in moments of great crisis in Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, but if not, your will be done, not mine. You remember him standing in the grave of Lazarus? Remember how he prayed? So says, first thing he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me and that you always hear me. But for the sake of those standing listening, <laughs> that they might know that you sent me. Then he commanded Lazarus to come forth. But the father was his first thought. In his private discussions with his disciples from John 14 to 17, he mentions the Father directly 50 times and indirectly 50 times. There's a hundred times in just three chapters he mentions the Father. In, verse, in the 26 verses of John 17, which is his great prayer, the Father's name, either directly or implied, was mentioned some 62 times. If you want to know, count them, for I've counted them. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus prayed that we would see him in his glory that he had with the Father before the world began. When the disciples listened to Jesus praying, they had never, ever heard anyone ever pray like Jesus. I remember they grew up as Jews. They, 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 they heard the Pharisees. They heard them in the marketplaces. They heard them in the temple. But they had never heard anyone ever pray as intimately, as personally to God as Jesus did because he called him Father. They became very envious. That relationship that he had with God, they wanted and it caused them to say, Lord, teach us to pray. That wasn't that these men didn't pray. But there was something about his praying, his prayers, that made them envious. They had never entered into such an intimate relationship with God as they saw Jesus with his Father. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Father implies family, relationship, Intimacy, sons and daughters. Now I know that humanly speaking, often our view of father is tainted by our views of our earthly fathers. The best earthly father, the best earthly father is still only a man. He's not God. Unlike God, he's subject to failure, to weaknesses, to mistakes, to even dishonor because he's not God. Now, my own father, who's in the glory today, I'm a mother, but my own father, there's nothing I can think that I could 
negatively say about him. He was a good father to us as children. He was a good husband to her mother, to his wife. He was a hard-working man all of his days. But in spite of that, he was still just a man. He wasn't God. He wasn't omnipotent. He wasn't omniscient. He wasn't omnipresent. He was just an ordinary man. And I'm sure he did things wrong, and I'm sure he made his mistakes. But growing up, I didn't see many of them. Other than one time he was caught, he was a bookies runner. In those days, it was illegal to gamble in the, in the bookies, and you had to do it kind of behind the scenes. And if you were caught, your name got in the paper. And my mother told me, he says, your daddy's name was in the paper one time he got caught. <laughs> but other than that, well, he was just a man. I would not dare to assume that your father was perfect in every way, because he probably wasn't. I have no idea what relationship most of you ever have with your fathers. But the biggest mistake you can make is comparing your dad with your father in heaven. Because at the end of the day, your dad's just a man. But God's not a man. And God is perfect. And God is good, and God is true, and God is just. What a blessing to know God as our Heavenly Father. Matthew 6.35 says He cares for us. He cares for us. He's got a tender heart towards us. John 17.11, He keeps us. His hand is upon us. He keeps us. Matthew 7.11, He gives us good things. Your heavenly Father, His heart is good towards you. And He wants to give you good things. 1 John 1, 3 and 7, He fellowships with us. <coughs> wants us to grow spiritually, Matthew 5, 48. Disciplines and trains us in Hebrews 12. Any good father, or good mother for that matter, wants to discipline and train their kids. Because we want them to grow up balanced and good. And our Heavenly Father is no different. And sometimes He has to chastise us because He wants us to live right and to do right and to be right. Otherwise, the Scripture says we're illegitimate children if He doesn't chastise us. But because we are His and He loves us, then He will train us. He makes His heirs and joint heirs with His Son. How good is that? Everything that the Son has been given belongs to us too. We're not, it's not half and half. We're heirs and we're joint heirs. It's good to be a joint heir with somebody. That would be good, wouldn't it? Well, we're joint heirs with His Son. He loves us, John 16. He welcomes our prayers, John 16. He speaks to us, Hebrews 1. He sees us, Matthew 6. He knows us, Matthew 6. He forgives us, Matthew 6. He indwells us by His Spirit, John 14. He sanctifies us, John 17. He comforts us, 2 Corinthians 1. He blesses us, Ephesians 1. He judges us, 1 Peter 1. He commands us, 2 John 4. And He has a place in His house for us, John 14. And you could read twice as many scriptures as that and more, all relating to the Father's relationship to us. And because we have a relationship, that comes with 
responsibilities, doesn't it? All of us as sons and daughters within our household have responsibilities in the natural. And it's the same in the spiritual. We have responsibilities. God expects we are to obey Him, 1 Peter 1. We are to submit to Him, Hebrews 12. We are to bring our cares to Him, 1 Peter 5. Casting all your care upon Him. That's our responsibility, to take our cares and to put it on to Him. That's wonderful, isn't it? Now, my father, going back to him, my father was quite deaf all of his life. It was damage he got done at work. And I, I haven't got a sharp voice. I have a, a softer voice. And he's, all my life he struggled to hear me, even though he wore hearing aids. And sometimes when the hearing aids squealed, he would take it off and it would hit the firewall. Because <laughs> it was driving him nuts. And so consequently, I, I, I tended to go to my mother if I wanted anything. Because I go to my daddy, couldn't hear me. Wait to your mother, he would say. And you go to your mother. And after a while, you stopped going to your father. Because he couldn't hear. And he always sent you to your mother. So just, after a while, I bypassed him and just went straight to my mother. But with God, we go straight to him. And he hears every single word that we say. And he wants us to come to him and to present our needs to him and to be with him. We've got to glorify him, 1 Corinthians 10. We've got to worship him, Ephesians 1. We've got to fellowship with him, 1 John 1. We've got to serve him, 1 Thessalonians. Pray to him, trust him, love him with all of our being because he is our Father in heaven. The disciples, I said a moment ago, were envious of his prayer life. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Matthew 6, he gave them a model for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's the disciples' prayer. This is not a prayer that Jesus himself prayed because he had no trespasses to forgive. And rabbis generally taught their disciples. And remember, Jesus was looked upon as a rabbi. He had a bunch of disciples with him. And rabbis generally taught their disciples they gave them little pointers how to pray. And Jesus did that with his disciples. So this was a model. This was a pattern of prayer he gave them to pray. Uh, so it was more of a prayer guide. Now, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with, with a whole congregation actually repeating this prayer. Oftentimes in church that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes at a funeral it happens where it's probably the only prayer that everybody knows a little thing in it, a line in it at least. And so that's why ministers get everybody so everybody can join in at this prayer. But actually, the trouble is that if that's the only reason we would do it, it, be, it can become just repetition. You can actually pray it without even thinking about it. You can just memorize it and set of rote. And Jesus warned against rote praying, just memorizing prayers and saying them because he before we, you'd read in Matthew 6 about what we call the Lord's Prayer, he talks about vain repetitions, as, as the Pharisees did. And so he gives them this uh, as pointers. And he says, Our Father, who art in heaven. You have to understand this was a new concept for his disciples. 
Because God is dressed as Father in the Old Testament just about, roughly about 14 times. And the majority of those times, it's addressing him as the father of the nation, as opposed to an individual father. So when Jesus began to pray to God in heaven as father in heaven, it caught their attention. It was different. It was new. It was not something that they were used to. However, in the four Gospels, we see that Jesus used this term many, many times. He used the name many times. But whenever he used it, it was always in an intimate, personal, individual way. And that's what they wanted to do. John, the beloved disciple, he picks up on this. And he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So the disciples were beginning to get the idea, the picture that God in heaven just didn't want to be God of the father of the whole nation, but he wanted to be my father as an individual. They were beginning, that penny was beginning to drop into their hearts. And that's what stirred them and encouraged them to pray. Let me ask you a question. Is that how you see God in heaven today? Do you see him literally as your heavenly father? Or do you just pray to God? Or is he Abba Father? Because that's what he wants to be to you and to me. Paul picks up on this in Galatians 4. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive <coughs> excuse me, the adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Did you notice that? And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts so that you too could cry out, Abba, Father, the way that Jesus did. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That applies to women as well as to men, to sisters as well as to brothers. Notice he said, our Father. Our prayer life is interdependent. How we approach the Heavenly Father and how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ is directly related. And this is why the model prayer of Jesus, it speaks of forgiveness. And he actually says more about that after the model prayer in verses 14 and 15 in Matthew 6. So relationship with the Father is not just vertical, it's horizontal. It's not just Godward, but it's manward as well. Peter talks about our prayers can be hindered even by how we as husbands treat our wives. Peter says that can hinder your prayers. You could be fervently praying to God in heaven for whatever you need or whatever you want or whatever you're desiring, thinking that God is going to do it, but if you're nasty and ugly with your wife, God can just switch that off. That's what Peter said. That's a big thing, isn't it? So darling... You know I love you very much. 
because I want to get my prayers answered. <laughs> God wants to be your heavenly Father. There's a little book by Max Lucado. And a few years ago, I read this. And it's a little modern-day parable. And it's one of those ways we need to see God as our Father, as our Maker. And how He treats us, how He loves us. It's called You're Special. Max Lucado, if you don't know, is a pastor in America He's retired now as, as pastor of his church, but he's a brilliant author. He's a great communicator. He's written many, many books, and no doubt some of you has read a number of his books. But this one was written, I think it was 1997 or something like that. Actually, it's been one of his best-selling books ever. And it's such a simple, simple little story. But let me read it to you. It only takes about three minutes, all right? And it's about... A little, the little wooden family called the Wemex. The Wemex were little wooden people. So you can see it's for three years and upwards. So as long as it's for three years and upwards, everybody in here can understand it. <laughs> so here's the little wooden people. Each Wemex had a box of golden star stickers and gray dot stickers. The wooden people went around the village sticking star, stars or dots on one another. The pretty one got stars. Wemmicks with rough wood or chip paint got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could jump over tall boxes or sing pretty songs. Others, though, could do little and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like others, but he always fell. So the Wemmicks would give him dots. When he tried to explain why he fell, he would say something silly. So the Wemmicks would give him more dots. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would say. And after a while, Punchinello believed them. I guess I'm not a good Wemmick, he decided. So he stayed inside most of the time. And when he did go outside, he hung around with other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day he met a different kind of Wemmick named Lucia. She had no dots or stars. The Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they'd give her a star, but it would fall off. Others gave her a dot for having no stars, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. So he asked Lucia how she did it. It's easy, she replied. Every day I go visit Eli, the woodcarver. Why? Well, you'll find out if you go and see him. Then Lucia turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello wondered. Later at home, he sat and watched the wooden people giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go and see Eli. Punchinello walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course. I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. 
looks like you have been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think, and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me special? Why? I'm not very talented. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly. Because you are mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't even know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand, Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. For now, come and see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said, as Punchinello was leaving, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Isn't that a great story? I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. For now, come and see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. And that's what the Father in heaven would say to us. Come and see me every day and let me show you how much I care. Because not only is he our creator, but he is our Father in heaven. So you have a wonderful Father in heaven today. And he wants you to come to him every day of your life and talk to him. And share your heart with him. And do you know what? He'll begin to share his heart with you. Because that's relationship, isn't it? Let's pray. We're going to take these moments together to break. I call God Father. Cost Him everything. What a price God paid. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful sacrifice that you made, that we may approach our Father in heaven, that we may come daily before his throne of grace. We thank you that you prayed the supreme price. You held nothing back. You gave all of your life for us. 
We thank you for that. So we bless you that that way has been made open for us into the very presence of God whom we call Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your precious blood. Thank you for the power of it to cleanse us. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for the benefits, all the advantages that we have through Calvary today. We rejoice in it and we give you thanks for it. In Christ's name.